0: As we turn to Psalm 119, I do uh, want to do what I've done before with you. I want to commend to you the Psalms. This is a new year. This is a time when we think about how we're going to read the Bible through the year, many of us. And there are many ways of doing that, many plans, many approaches to that. But I would commend to you the Psalms. And that you make part of your reading through Scripture this year the reading of the Psalms because the Psalms teach us many things. They teach us how to pray. They teach us how to think. They teach us how to worship. They teach us how to feel. They teach us what's normal in the life of a Christian. And it's very easy if you you keep the Psalms out of your, your normal reading of the Scriptures, it's easy for you to come to think that you're weird, that you're that you're different, that there's something wrong with you. As you look at the struggles that you have and the fears that you have and the sins that you have. And then when you open up the psalms and read the psalms, you realize, oh, I'm just normal. And it's very, it's very good to know that you're just normal. That all the things that are true of you were true of the, of the psalmists. And, and they walked with God. God. And you can walk with God in the midst of your sins and your repentance as well. So I commend to you the Psalms. Now look at Psalm 119, verse 25. We'll be reading verses 25 to 32. My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have told of my ways and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. So I will meditate on your wonders. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove the false way from me, and graciously grant me your law. I have chosen the faithful way, I have placed your ordinances before me. I cling to your testimonies. O Lord, do not put me to shame. I shall run in the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. This is the word of the Lord. There are three things that I want for us to see in this section of Psalm 119. First of all, the Christian life is a life of honesty about your own sin. Secondly, true Christian prayer is filled with holy arguments. And third, the Christian life is filled with humble hope. So first of all, look at how honest David is about his own sin. Verse 25, my soul cleaves to the dust. Verse 26, I have told of my ways. Verse 29, or verse 28, my soul weeps because of grief. Verse 29, remove the false way from me. The Christian life is Is a life of honesty about your own sin. You cannot be humble without being honest about your sin. And we know from everywhere in Scripture that the Christian life is a life of humility. If you have no humility, you are not a Christian. It is where the Christian life begins. Psalm 1827. For you save a humble people, but the, audio, the haughty eyes you bring down. Psalm 25, 9, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Psalm 147 6, the Lord lifts up the humble, he casts the wicked to the ground. Psalm 149, 4, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people, he adorns the humble with salvation. Proverbs 3, 34, "'Toward the scorners he is scornful, "'but to the humble he gives favor.'" Isaiah 66, 2. God says, "'But this is the one to whom I will look, "'he who is humble and contrite in spirit "'and trembles at my word.'" James 4, 6 to 10. "'But he gives more grace. "'Therefore it says, "'God opposes the proud, "'but gives grace to the humble.'" And you can't humble yourself unless you are honest about your sin. And you cannot repent without being honest about your sin. That's why you cannot be a Christian without humility. Because when Jesus comes preaching the gospel, he says, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's also why Jesus says in John chapter 9, He says, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Rhetorical question, right? We're not blind. And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. As long as they thought they were okay, as, as long as they thought they could see, as long as they thought they weren't like the blind, then they were cut off from Christ's help because he came for people who know that they are sinners. And you will not and you cannot repent of your sin and turn to Christ if you refuse to admit your sin. That's why David says in Psalm 62, verse 8, he says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. He says, In Psalm 142, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. He lays it all out. He pours out his heart. He cries out to God. He pours out his complaint to him. And what we see in Psalm 119 is a man who freely admits and pours out his complaint about himself. Oh God, my soul clings to the dust. My soul loves this world. My soul clings to what is low and dirty. Oh God, my soul melts away for sorrow. I see my sin and I hate it. He pours out his complaint, not about his circumstances, not about other people's concerns. He pours out his complaint, first of all, about himself. Oh God, I see myself. The more you grow in godliness, the more that's the substance of your prayers. Oh God, look at me. I see myself. And it's awful. Oh Lord, have mercy. And you'll have no real Christian experience without this kind of openness and honesty about your sin. As long as you try to hide it, as long as you try to adjust the record or blame your parents for your sin or pretend you aren't as messed up as your husband or your wife or your kids or your roommates, really know you are. As long as you try to brush your sin aside and downplay it, then you will not make any strides in your Christian life. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And grace is not just the forgiveness of your sins, it's the power for you to obey God. He opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. He comes and dwells with those who are lowly. He opens the eyes of people who know and freely admit that they are blind. He comes to give health to people who know That their souls are sick with sin. A Christian is not a man who does not sin. A Christian is a man who sees his sin and is humble before God and before others. So, what about you? Are you still trying to make everybody think that you're more holy? or more righteous, or more self-controlled, or more with it than you really are? Is that, is that what your life is about? Here's who I am. Are you still trying to convince God that you're more holy or more righteous, more self-controlled, more with it than you really are? Don't you want God's help with your sin? Do you really think you can do this by yourself? Don't you want God's help with your sin? Don't you want God's help with that private habit, that secret sin that you think no one else knows about? Maybe no one else does know about it. With that thought life, with that sin that entangles you, that sin that trips you, that sin that drags you down, that sin that makes you feel like you'll never be free from it, don't you want God's help with that? The only way you will begin to find freedom from those sins, the only way you will begin to find substantial victory over those sins, which is possible for you, is if you come out of the dark and into the light about them, And lay them freely before God in all of their ugliness, all of their perversion, all of their wickedness. It's your only hope. Do you think that God will be revolted by your sin? Are you afraid to come to God with your sin because you think he'll be revolted by it? He already knows your sin. Jesus said... I came not to call the righteous, but what? Sinners. Paul says in Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still, what? Sinners. Christ died for us. He says in Romans 5.10, while we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Your sin is no surprise to God. And we we have this habit of insanity to to think, I I can't come to God with my sin. If I come to God with my sin, he will be revolted by it. He He will turn away from me if I come to him with my sin. But your sin is no surprise to him. How could your sin be a surprise to him? Was it laid on Christ on the cross or wasn't it? If it was, then don't you think he knew what he was getting into? Don't you think Jesus Christ knew what he was paying for? That's the, that's the glory of the doctrine of the atonement, of, of, of the death of Christ that's particular Jesus didn't die just for some nebulous mass of sin out there. He died for your sins. The sins you committed last night. Literally for those particular sins. And so if your sins were laid on Christ, don't you think it's forgiven and covered? Or do you really doubt the reality of what God has said? The Christian life is a life of honesty with God and with people about your sin. The gospel frees you to be honest with God about your sin. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's where it starts It's how it continues. It's how humility and honesty with God about your sin is how the Christian life ripens and deepens. And the more it does, the sweeter the fruit. That leads us to the second thing that we see in this section from Psalm 119. True Christian prayer is filled with holy arguments. Look at this. Look at the basis of, of his prayer in this section. Verse 25 My soul cleaves to the dust, revive me according to your word. Verse 28 My soul weeps because of grief, strengthen me according to your word. Now, think about what he's doing here. He is using holy arguments with God. He is asking for God's help. And then, in effect, he's saying, you have already promised to do this in your word. You've already promised to do this. You have spoken. You've said that you would do this. Do it according to your word. You've already said it, so do it. Psalm 119 is full of this kind of thing. Verse 107. I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Verses 169 and 170. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. There's a pattern. He makes requests. Revive me. Strengthen me. Let my cry come before you. Give me understanding. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me. And he backs up those requests by saying... This is exactly what you have already promised. Fulfill your word. I am hoping in your word. Keep it. I'm banking on your promises. Fulfill them. This is the the faithful way to pray. The way to pray that's full of faith. This way of praying is filled with faith and flows out of faith. Faith. Because the basic assumptions underlying this way of praying are the assumptions that God is good, he intends to keep his promises, and God is powerful, he's able to keep his promises. This is not something that's unique with David. You see this everywhere with men who pray. In the scriptures. Let me show you one man, Moses, a couple of examples from him. If you have your Bible, turn to Exodus 32. You see Moses doing this all the time. Follow along with me. Exodus Exodus 32, verse 7. Look at this. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. I'm going to, I'm done with them. I'm going to wipe them all out. I'll start over with you, Moses. Verse 11, but Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Here's where he starts arguing in a holy argument. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and, and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. God, you said, you said that you would make of these people a great nation. Remember what you said. Don't wipe them out. In verse 14, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. God delights to hear those kinds of prayers. Another one, Romans, I'm sorry, Numbers, chapter 14, verse 11. Again, Moses, Numbers fourteen, eleven, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me and how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it. For you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give to them that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please, let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please, pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But it wasn't his word, was it? It was God's word. God, this is what you said about yourself. This is who you said you are. This is what you said you would do. Oh God, do it. This is a man praying who is filled with the words of God. He's filled with the knowledge of the promises of God. He's filled with the knowledge of the character of God. He's filled with the knowledge of the previous acts of God, what God had already done. And so he prays out of that fullness. He prays out of the riches of God's truth and character. He comes to God with God's own word in his hand. God, this is what you said. Now this is exactly what Jesus said in John fifteen seven. It's exactly what Jesus said would happen. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He says, if we abide in him, that is, if we have conscious fellowship with him, and if his words abide in us, if we fill fill ourselves with his truth and his promises, then he says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Why? Why? Is this some kind of hocus pocus, name it and claim it stuff? No, not at all. It's simply this. When we are living in conscious fellowship with Christ, and when His words are filling us, our prayers are then shaped by His character and by His promises. And so what we pray for is in tune with who He is, with what He wants. With what he has already pledged himself to do. And he delights to answer those kinds of prayers. He delights to show that he is faithful to his word. That he will do exactly what he said he would do. Which leads us to the third thing that we see in this section of psalm 119 we see that number one the christian life is a life of humility and honesty about your sin number two it's a life of holy arguments in prayer taking his word seriously before him with faith and third the christian life is is filled with humble hope humble hope look at verses 31 and 32 I cling to your testimonies, O oh Lord, do not put me to shame. I shall run in the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. Lord, I cling to your testimonies. There's the humility. I I hang on to your testimonies. I'm desperately clinging to your testimonies. I need your word desperately, Lord. I need your word. There's the humility. Do not put me to shame. There's the hope. I shall run in the way of your commandments. There's the hope. It's a hope that many of us need this year. I will run in the way of your commandments. That's a very hopeful statement, isn't it? I will make progress against my sin. I will make progress in my obedience. I will run in the way of your commandments. There's the hope. I shall run in the way of your commandments for only one reason. You will enlarge my heart. There's the humility. My only hope is you, God, working. I will run in the way of your commandments only if you you will enlarge my heart. You will work inside of me. That is the Christian life, brothers and sisters. It's a life of humble hope. It's a life of honesty with God and with men about your own sin. It's a life of prayer that knows God and knows God's ways and knows God's promises and banks on them and uses them in prayer as holy arguments. And it's a life of humble hope. Is that normal for you? Does that ring true with you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Because if none of that is normal to you, if you can't relate at all to any of that, then you need to seek God's face and his mercy and his grace and his spirit to make all of this real and normal for you because experiencing this honesty and this humility and in engaging with God in real prayer about real stuff is the Christian life that he has promised to all who seek him and if you're if you know nothing of it then come to him come to him now Or if you know a little bit of it, but you're humble enough to see that you don't know enough of it, praise God. That humility is what I'm talking about. Come to Him. Let's pray. Lord God, we call on You. Have mercy on us, miserable sinners. And make... This year, a year of humility before you, not a year of grand, confident boasts, but a year of humble dependence, humble hope. Not a year of trying again to hide our sin, but a year of bringing it out into the open so that you can deal with us as sinners for whom you sent your Son. Have mercy, we pray, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.